Well, good morning, everybody. I hate to interrupt you because, go on, sit down. You, you there, sit down. <laughs> nobody telling you, nobody sorting you out. There's always one person still answering. Uh, my name's Pete. Uh, I sort of feel like a guest, but a friend of the church, so it's really good to be back again. Um, I was here last for Easter. Uh, if you remember that, all that time ago. And, um, but I love that. And if you're the sort of person that when Phil says, oh, do that, you think, oh, I don't like doing that, please go with it. Because that's what building church is all about. That relational connections is really important. So even if you talk to somebody you didn't particularly like, just saying, um, <laughs> then it's really important to do that. Um, so I serve as uh, vice principal at Regents Theological College, which is the main training centre of the Elim movement. Um, And I've been there 12 years, and I love it. I love training and releasing leaders. Um, But it's a joy to be with you. It really is. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive into God's Word. And I'm going to hit my button that starts the timer, just to encourage you. I'll ignore it, but I will hit the button that starts the timer. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your presence with us. We thank you, Lord, that we feel like we have already been led into your presence. We're always with you, but there's something special about congregating together to bring glory to you, to hear your voice, to know you more intimately. And I pray, Lord, for every person who's walked with you for a long time, that through your word, by your spirit, you would help them to grow yet more in you. But Lord, I pray at the other end, where maybe there's somebody here for the first time or second or third time who is just teasing faith, is just wondering about you and isn't yet come into relationship with you. I pray for each person and everyone in between, Lord. As we open up your word by your spirit, speak life into us, Lord Jesus, we pray to your glory. Amen. Amen. It had been a really, really long day. The team had been working so hard. They'd done that job for a long time, most of them, but it had been a hard job. Every now and then the storms had been coming and they'd been out in the boats and it had been a really tough time. And then it got towards the end and they're all a little bit tired, a little bit worn out. And the team leader said, hey boys, let's go back in the boat again. In fact, let's cross to the other side of the lake. And the team were like, oh boss, we're so tired, it's been such a day. No, 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 get in the boat, come on, we're going to go for it. And so the team got in the boat, team leader sat in the back of the boat, and they set off, and one or two other boats went with them. But you know, they weren't that far out, but they were towards the middle of the lake when suddenly this furious squall came. And it began to overwhelm the boat, and they're looking at each other, for goodness sake, this is, why did we set out? Have you ever done that? You set out on something, why did we set out on this? And suddenly the waves are sweeping over, the winds crashing into their faces. Come on, get, get the boss, get the team leader. He says, he's asleep at the back of the boat. What? He's asleep in this? Wake him up, you're his pal, wake him up. So they went to the boss, they went to the team leader, and woke him up. And you know what they said to him? Boss, team leader. Don't you care that we're going to drown? Don't you care? Don't you care? Most, if not all of you know, that was Mark chapter 4. Mark's gospel chapter 4. The team were the disciples. The lake was Galilee. The team leader, the boss, the Lord, was Jesus Christ. But when they're faced with that furious squall of a storm... They did not shout out, aren't you powerful enough? They didn't say, but surely you're the Lord of heaven and earth. You're the God of all creation. They didn't shout all that to him when eventually he woke up. You know what they said? Don't you care that we're going to drown? And you and I as followers of Jesus, 
That can be one of those things that can be so challenging when we feel we're in a storm of life. And we're supposed to have Jesus on our side. And we, like the disciples, if we're honest, say it. But if we're a little bit in one of those churches where you're not allowed to be honest, you know, not in council, I'm talking about other churches, we just think it. Don't you care? Don't you care? I'm going to look at a psalm. I'm going to go to the Old Testament. I'm going to ask you if you could to find it. Um, I love it when people actually get their Bibles out. I know often we put words on screens and stuff, and that can be helpful. But it's good to actually have your Bible. So whether you've got a paper Bible or a digital Bible, whatever that is, it's good to have that. We're going to sit in Psalm 28. Psalm 28. And if you're into titles, if you like titles, it helps you to know where we're going. My title is A Fresh Look at the God You Can Rely On. 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 Psalm 28. To you I call, O Lord, my rock. Do not turn a deaf ear to me, for if you remain silent, I'll be like those who've gone down to the pit. Hear my cry for mercy as I call to you for help, as I lift up my hands toward your most holy place. Do not drag me away with the wicked, with those who do evil, who speak cordially with their neighbours and harbour malice in their hearts. Repay them for their deeds and for their evil work. Repay them for what their hands have done and bring back upon them what they deserve. Since they show no regard for the works of the Lord and what his hands have done, he will tear them down and never build them up again. Praise be to the Lord, for he has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him, and I am helped. My heart leaps for joy, and I will give thanks to him in song. The Lord is the strength of his people, a fortress of salvation for his anointed one. Save your people and bless your inheritance. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. We're going to focus on just two little parts of that psalm. There's loads in there. And I wanted to read the whole psalm. But if you look at verse 2 and then in a moment at verse 6 and 7, I want you to connect these. This is written in Hebrew. And in the original Hebrew language, it's exactly the same words are used. Verse 2 says, Hear my cry for mercy. I call to you for help. And verse 6 and 7, He has heard my cry for mercy. And I am helped. Can you connect that? It's so important for us to see. In verse 2, the psalmist, hear my cry. I call to you for help. In verse 6 and 7, he's heard my cry for mercy. And I am helped. Identical words are used. Um, The background of many of the psalms is quite clear. Sometimes you read a psalm, and this one says it's the psalm of David. Don't think that means David wrote it. He might have written it. But the way it's attributed to him, it could have been written in his honour. It could have been written about him. It could have been written by him. There's loads of things. So we know somehow there's a connection to David somewhere. And some of the psalms have quite specific historical background. To be honest, whatever books you read, you will not find any clear historical background to this. Nobody knows exactly the background. But what is clear is the psalmist starts with a sense of desperation and ends with a sense of joy and relief. You ever been desperate? 
Yeah. You ever not like putting your hand up in church? Yeah. She starts desperate, but ends in joy and relief. One commentator says, the psalmist starts almost in panic and ends almost in ecstasy. Oh, I'd sooner start in panic and end in ecstasy than have it the other way around. So this is one of those psalms that takes you on this journey. And I want to look at three characteristics of the God we serve and worship. Three characteristics that are so clear from this little phrase. Hear my cry, I call to you for help. He's heard my cry, and I am helped. Number one, we have a responsive God. We have a responsive God. We, had a, we have a God who responds to us. Now, you might say, well, that's fairly obvious, isn't it? But some people struggle with that. Back in the day, certainly in the Greco-Roman philosophers' day and Aristotle, Socrates and those sort of dudes, um, there was a, a picture of God, if you like, that God was the unmoved mover. God was the unmoved mover. And what that phrase meant was, um, God is the one who's caused everything to happen. So he's the, the mover, he's the mover and shaker, he's made everything happen. But he himself is unmoved. He's not affected by anything. And that, that became a doctrine in the early church. It became the doctrine of the impassibility of God. Now, don't worry, you can get into heaven without remembering that word, don't worry. But it became known as the doctrine of the impassibility of God. And what that meant was that God is not able to experience emotion, which is quite difficult to worship a frozen iceberg. If we say God is, is unmoved by anything, he's, he's, he's unchallenged, and then if we overemphasize the, God's sovereignty, there's a right emphasis, but if we overemphasize God's sovereignty, we lose the genuine relationality of God. We have been invited into, by the sacrifice of the blood of Jesus, invited into a dynamic relationship with God. He responds to us. He responds to you. You see, if we lose that relationship with God, we end up with something called deism. And deism is a belief that there is a God who created the world, but he has no active involvement in the world ongoingly. When I was a student, I studied architecture in Manchester many years ago. And when I was a student, it was trendy to have posters on your walls in student bedrooms. Maybe it still is, I don't know. And one of the posters I had is a big picture of a watch. And at the side, the little text says, Would a watch doubt the existence of the watchmaker? And I'm thinking, that's a good Christian thing, that. Would a watch doubt the existence of the watchmaker? It was years later somebody said, you know that's deism? What? What? Because, you see, there is this belief that God sets up the world and there is a God who created the world. And then he says, see how you get on. That is not Christianity. The Christian faith is based on a God who is actively engaged with his world. Engaged and responding to his world and the creatures. God responds to you. And I've got a watch here and it's a Seiko watch. No advertising, but still. But do you know what? I've had this watch for quite a number of years and it's gone really well. But Mr. Seiko has never wronged me. He's never said, how are you getting on with me, watch? <laughs> Mr. Seiko, he's not interested. He's just made the watch. And no, no, no. We have a responsive God. He responds to us. And sometimes we miss that and have this view of God that he's unmoved. Listen, when we are worshipping God, he is moved. When we're trusting in God, he is moved. When we're putting our confidence in him, he is moved. He is affected in an appropriate way by us because he wants to be in a genuine relationship with him. 
that's why the psalmist says, hear my cry. And a few moments later, he's heard my cry. He's responded to me. If he doesn't respond to us, why pray? People sometimes have a theological framework and then a devotional life and they're not connected. We've got the frozen iceberg, unmoved mover over here, the impossibility of God, mega sovereign, and we're all puppets on strings. But then in our devotional life, oh God, I need your help. I want you to connect that theologically as well as devotionally. He responds to you and me. You know that time when Moses goes up the mountain and while he's having a chat with God up the mountain, the other people down below, led by Aaron, um, they make a golden calf. It's in Exodus 32. They make a golden calf. And in fact, the way they phrase it, it says, we just threw the gold in the fire and out came this calf. It's fabulous if you read that. But then God says, I'm going to wipe out my people. And God, uh, sorry, and and, uh, Moses steps in and Moses pleads to God, please don't wipe out your people, please. And you know what the Bible says? God changed his mind. Ooh, dodgy. He said God relents. Oh my goodness. And then a little bit later, Joshua chapter 3, uh, the children of Israel are going into the promised land. They're crossing the, they've already done the Red Sea bit. Now they're crossing the River Jordan to go into the promised land. And it says that the priests put their foot into the river. And as they did, the water stopped high upstream and they crossed over on dry ground. But the priests stepped in first. And God responded to what they were doing. What about Esther, the story of Esther? And God wants to raise Esther up at a key moment to save and protect his people from annihilation. And, and, but something is, is clear, it's her choice. It's clear that she can choose to do that or not. She can't thwart the plan of God because the Bible says, if you don't step up, Esther, um, deliverance will come from another place. God will find another way. But she had a genuine choice. God responded to that. Maybe one of the most famous, Jonah. And we sometimes, and I hope they don't do this in Sunday school, but sometimes we misunderstand the story of Jonah and we say he was scared. Jonah was never scared. He was just an idiot. But he wasn't scared because he knew, and he was a very racist idiot, just saying. He knew because God had said, there's a wicked city over there called Nineveh. I want you to go and preach to them. And if you preach to them and they repent, I won't wipe them out. But Jonah wanted them to be wiped out. They're bad uns. Wipe them out, God. So he runs the other way. Swallowed by big fish. You know this story, don't you? Big fish, vomit. Oh, that's a great story. Vomit. It's one of the few times in church you can say vomit and get away with it. And so the big fish vomited. Him. And, but what's the whole point of that? God responded to Jonah. But he was determined Jonah was doing it. When Jonah preached, Jonah preached in Nineveh, the Ninevites repented and they were not wiped out. And the Bible says God changed his mind. He relented from bringing the punishment he was going to bring. In other words, God responds to human beings. I did a very flying picture through a few Bible things there just to remind us that we do have a God who responds to us. But then, of course, In just three weeks' time, we'll be celebrating the Lord Jesus Christ, the incarnation, the enfleshment, when God takes upon flesh. And you know, the whole point of that is that Jesus shows us what God is like. You know where people go wrong sometimes? They first get an understanding of God from the Old Testament and let that perception of God inform the perception of Jesus. That's the wrong way around. When Jesus came, he came to show us what God is like. 
He's the fullness of the Godhead, bodily expressed. Sorry, I was breaking things. He shows us what God is like. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Look at his life. Look at his ministry. Look at his miracles. Look at his healings. Look at his compassion. How can we ever look at the Lord Jesus and say we don't have a God who responds? God res- Jesus responded to everything in front of him. And he shows us what God is like. And so let our perception of Jesus inform our perception of God, not the other way around. Sometimes people have real problems when they get into the Old Testament to see, oh, God did this, God did that. All this Old Testament stuff is really difficult. And that shapes your view of Jesus. It's because you're doing it the wrong way around. Look at Jesus first. He shows us what God is like. And God responds to us. We have a responsive God. The psalmist is sure of God's response. Hear my cry. I call to you for help. He's heard my cry. And I I'm helped. I've got a mate, been mates for like 20 odd years. He's not a follower of Jesus. We've had every conversation you can have on that. I'm just praying for him now. And I keep telling him that. But he's a really good mate. But every now and then I tell him about stuff happening. I say, oh, I'm praying for this, praying for that. And then he said to me some years ago, he said, do you know something? I've noticed you and your faith and all that stuff. He says, I've noticed that the more you pray, the luckier you get. <laughs> oh, and I thought that's good theology. I said, mate, you're nearly there. Mate, you're nearly with Jesus. But that's true. So why do I get lucky when I pray? Because God is responding. And I know God's dropped this into my heart because there are people here this morning and you need added confidence that God is responding to you. You maybe don't see it yet. You don't feel it yet. You're still struggling with the frustration of it just ain't happening. You need to know he is a responsive God and he's responding to you. The fascinating thing when you look at this is there's probably not a change of circumstances between verse 2 and verse 6. I mean, there's not a change of circumstances, but there's a rise of confidence in the heart. Confidence that God has helped. And I've done a rare thing of bringing one of these Bible commentaries where people talk about, I want to read this phrase. Because, in other words, between verse 2 and verse 6, almost certainly the circumstances haven't changed. What has changed is confidence has grown in the heart. And just listen to this. This is commenting on these verses. The decisive event is the fact that God has heard the prayer and has had mercy on the afflicted person. The actual change in circumstances will therefore inevitably follow. And it can be regarded in faith as a present reality. Oh, I love that. Thus, the psalm is no mere lament, but a lament that has been turned into praise. If you know your psalms, some of the psalms are lament. Oh, why is this going on? Life is horrible. Some of the psalms are all lament. Some of them are all praise. Yes, God, you're in charge. You and I have lament days. Come on, be honest. And you have praise days. But you know what this is? This is a lament that turns into praise. And I love that phrase where it says, the actual change in circumstances has yet to follow, but it can be regarded in faith as a present reality. In other words, this psalmist has said in verse 2, hear my cry, I need your help. But by verse 6, 7, he's heard my cry, I am helped. Circumstances haven't changed yet. But what has changed is in his heart, he's saying, yes, I'm living in the reality that God is sorting it. That's what he's saying. 
It reminds me of that wonderful verse in the New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, that says, Cast all your anxiety onto him, for he cares for you. Why don't you care for us, boss? <laughs> he cares for you. And that verse, when it says, cast all your anxiety, the way it's written is, cast is a once, once and for all, it's give them all to Jesus. And when it says anxiety, it's not anxieties in the plural. It's not give him this, give him this, give him that. I've got this on Monday, I've got this on Tuesday. No, no, just give him anxiety. Cast your anxiety onto him. So important. So number two, we have a merciful God. We have a merciful God. You see, it's one thing to say we have a responsive God, but what sort of response? You notice, hear my cry for mercy. And when in verse 6 he refers back to it, he includes that phrase, mercy. He has heard. It's not just he's heard my cry. He's heard my cry for mercy. We, we have a merciful God, not just a responsive God. You see, have you ever had people in your life and they're a bit unpredictable, a bit, a bit unsure? I had a great dad, brilliant dad. He'd been a, anyway, loads of stuff, but... In my teens, my teen years, um, he had some, I guess today would be referred to as serious mental health conditions. Um, that's probably the way it would be referred to today. Um, maybe breakdowns, all sorts of stuff. But in my teen years, my dad was very unpredictable. Very unpredictable. He could be the most loving, wonderful, and that was his core. But also, I do remember as a 14-year-old being chased around the back garden with the kitchen prop. Oh, he was so unpredictable. I remember at times, suddenly, he would whip his belt off and me and my sister would hope it wasn't the buckle end. He was so unpredictable. The highs and the lows. And maybe you have somebody in your life and they're responsive, but the response is so unpredictable. You see, back in the psalmist day, the gods of their day were believed to be capricious, to be moody, to be up and down. You never knew what the gods were going to be like. That's why when you look at the Greco-Roman gods, they always needed appeasing. They need to bring sacrifices to the gods to appease them. And to appease them is to keep them happy. You've got to keep on the right side of these gods. Oh, you don't want to get gods on a bad day. You see, we have a responsive God, but he is always, always, and I mean always, merciful. And I got the feeling as I was preparing, there were some people here, and you have a real challenge, because you know you should be going to God, but you know you've done something that's not good, and you're a bit bothered what the response of God is going to be. You know if you're honest with him and bring stuff to him, he's going to respond, but you're not sure what the response is going to be like. I'm here this morning to tell you, he is always merciful. Whatever you've done, nothing is beyond the bounds of his mercy. So important to get that at our core. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 31 says, The Lord your God is a merciful God. He will never abandon you or forget his covenant with you. He's a merciful God. The psalmist would have known that. So when the psalmist is saying, Hear my cry for mercy, he knows Deuteronomy. And he knows Deuteronomy written a couple of, couple of hundred years before. He knows that I'm, I'm going to a merciful God. He's a God of mercy. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16, and there's loads of Old Testament analogies in the letter to Hebrews, or the writings of Hebrews, and in chapter 4 it says, he's talking about coming to God, a bit like Isaac was leading us before, let's come into God's presence, but he says, let us approach the throne of, now you would have thought, if you took a throne, what do you picture as a throne? The throne of majesty, 
The throne of power. The throne of authority. Let us approach the throne of dominion. But do you know what the Hebrew says? Let us approach the throne of grace. The throne of grace. It's where Phil started our service today. Full of grace and truth. That's Jesus. The grace comes before the truth. And as Phil reminded us right at the first beginning of this service, he's full of that. Full of grace. You're never going to get God on a bad day. He's always going to be merciful to you. When you approach his throne, it's a throne of grace. And you know what else it says in that verse? Approach the throne of grace so that we may find mercy. Mercy. He's always, always merciful. Titus 3 verse 5 says, Jesus saved us, not because of righteous things we'd done, but because of his mercy. If you've followed Jesus for many years and you think God is pretty lucky that you're on his side, please sort yourself out. Because believe me, we can do that. And we can sit in church with pastors and preachers speaking and we hear challenging things and we sit there in the congregation because we've followed Jesus 30 odd years. We say, welcome Jesus, I hope people are listening to this. And we miss it for us. Don't miss that in Titus 3. Jesus saved us not because of righteous things we've done. You cannot do enough righteous things to be acceptable to God. But the good news is you don't need to. You... Well, I nearly said something I probably shouldn't say here. That's really funny, that, isn't it? That would have been. Anyway, but that's the challenge. It's because of his righteousness, because of his mercy. So please, I need to release some of you, I believe, from a wrong perception of God. For whatever reason, you either have a picture of God that he's not responsive, he's just a frozen iceberg, or he is responsive, but you never know what you're going to get. He is not hard, demanding. He's not harsh, and he's not unpredictable. Oh, when I saw my dad, I never knew what I was going to get. Our Heavenly Father is not like that. He's not harsh, he's not demanding, he's not unpredictable. Ephesians 4 says he is rich in mercy. Rich in mercy. Um, we live in, Jill and I live in Herefordshire and in a small town and the back of our house looks out over fields and we see sheep and cows and stuff, the things, st- stuff growing in fields that starts off green and goes yellow. Anyway, um, and I know nothing about it, but the sheep are wonderful. The sheep are so stupid. They really are. They run all over the place and whatever. Um, and you see them. And every now and then a big truck go, comes. Big, a great big huge truck comes. And all the sheep get in the, in the back of it. And they go on holiday. All the sheep go on holiday. If you talk to Jill, she's got a horrible alternative vision of that. But, but no, no, they go on holiday. Um, but every now and then you see the sheep. And suddenly, they, you see them all early in the morning usually. Running to one corner. It's a big field. They're running to one corner of the field. And you think, what, what's going on? You still realize the shepherds come, the farmers come, and he's giving them food. Oh, they run! And I just felt as I was watching them a week or two ago, God said, that's the picture he wants us to be with him. He comes with good things for you. And there's some people here, and you're doubting that. You're just not sure what God is like. He loves you. He is merciful towards you. He will always, always be gracious to you. He'll always give you good things. You don't ever see four or five of these sheep in a little huddle saying, what do you think? Do you think it'd be any good? I don't know. Oh, I, heard, I read on Google that there's some farmers giving bad stuff. To, no, 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 no. The sheep just run. I want to encourage you. Run to God. 
And somebody right now, you're in a bit of a mess. You need to run to God. The mess might be of your own doing. But run to God because he'll always, always give you good things. Because he's rich in mercy. And sometimes people end up in need or, or, or they're depressed or they're lonely or they're frustrated. Please, if you're in that position at any time, not just now, approach God. Because there are people who say, oh, I'm feeling so lonely, I'm so angry, I'm so frustrated, I'm so depressed, I need to take time out from church. That's the wrong way around. That's the time to take time in church. Especially a church where you can be real and you can encounter the merciful, gracious God. We have a merciful God. So we have a responsive God. We have a merciful God. But do you know what? We have a personal God. A personal God. Notice how intensely personal this psalm is. Even in verse 2 and verse 6 and 7, which we're looking at, notice the number of my's and I's. There are 11. I cheated. Added them before. There's 11. Verse 2. Hear my cry. I call. I lift my hands. Verse 6 and 7, he's heard my cry, he's my strength, my shield, my heart trusts in him. I am helped, my heart leaps, I will give thanks. This is incredibly personal. And we need to get a right balance here in our understanding of faith. I can't remember if I've preached it here before or not, but sometimes I've preached on cosmic salvation. That sounds really cool, that. What? What did he say? Cosmic salvation. Salvation of the cosmos. The Lord Jesus Christ did not come to earth just to save you. I'm really sorry. It's not all about you. Because sometimes we get self-centered, selfish Christians who think it's all about them. Obviously not here. Um, Because he came to save the planet. Jesus Christ came to redeem all that was lost. And the ultimate plan of God is for heaven to come to earth and to receive again and redeem everything that was lost. So there is a plan of cosmic salvation, salvation of the cosmos. The Lord Jesus Christ came to redeem the world. We need that. But at the other end, we need to realise we have an intensely personal God who loves you. Yes, you. I've pastored for hundreds of years. Sometimes it feels. I've pastored four churches, and in each of those churches, there's been people who I know deep down say, well, it's all right for everybody else. It's all right for everybody else. God loves them and sees them and helps them and whatever. Oh, my goodness. I was telling, I don't know why I should say this. I was telling students last week um, that we had a lady in our church many years ago, and we were going through a period where we were saying, come on, let's bring the sacrifice of praise And you know, in the New Testament, it says when we come to worship God, we bring him a sacrifice of praise. And we were emphasizing, you don't praise God when you feel like it. It's not about how you feel. We're bringing a sacrifice of praise. And there was a lady who'd been in the church a few months. And um, how can we say it nicely? She was a bit full of herself. (laughs) But she'd been following Jesus for a few months, but it tended to all be about her. And so I just noticed she looked like death warmed up at the end of one service. So I went and had a chat. And um, I said, hey, are you doing, you know, because it looked like you weren't really with it. So I couldn't praise God this morning. Everything's terrible in my life. I said, what? Sorry, what's going on? And she told me one or two, I would say fairly low-level things. But then she made a bit of a mistake because she looked across the other side of the church and she picked out an old lady on the other side of the church. And she said, I saw her singing and I bet you she's got no problems. I bet you she's got no, I saw her singing and praising God. It's all right for her. Ooh, God gave me a little bit of a word of wisdom. Because there was one thing I told her and one thing I didn't tell her. What I told her was, to be honest, you need to know, 
that lady's husband died 10 days ago. But she's still here praising God. What I didn't tell her was that lady was my mum. Because if you think it's all about you, you miss God's work in lots of the rest of the world. However, it is personal, which is why my mum was so secure in her faith in Jesus. One day I'll see him again. And therefore that trust is immense. Because we have a personal God. He cares about you. We need to get that balance of cosmic salvation. God is redeeming through Christ. And when Christ returns, he will redeem the whole of creation. Romans, 12, uh, Romans 8 bangs on about that loads. But he's also very personal. If you want another psalm quickly, Psalm 139. Oh, verse 3. You are familiar with all my ways. Do you know what? God is aware of your quirkiness. Isaac, God is aware of your quirkiness. Oh my goodness. No, maybe I won't say. <laughs> but you see, there's something so personal, so unique. And you feel sometimes it's all right for the rest of the world. But what about? No, Jesus loves you because you're you. Stop trying to be like somebody else. Stop trying to think, if only I do that, Jesus will like me. No, no, no. He loves you and he likes you. He does like you. Oh, somebody's not sure about that. Somebody's sort of thinking, well, God's got to love me because he's God. No, 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 he, he likes you. God's been with you. God is aware of your quirkiness. Verse 2 of that psalm, you perceive my thoughts from afar. He knows what you're thinking. Oh, that's not good sometimes. Oh, that's not good sometimes. But you know what rescues me? The person who knows me best loves me most. There is nothing that the Lord God is going to find out about you that will make him go off you. You don't need to live like that. Verse 4 of that psalm. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. He knows what you're going to say. He's an intimate, personal, relational God. God enjoys his personal friendship with you. With you. You know, the Queen. You remember the Queen? Remember the Jubilee? Not the Platinum Jubilee. Not the Diamond Jubilee. Not the Golden Jubilee. But the Silver Jubilee. I was in my teens, honest. I mean, no, no, I was, I was only just born. <laughs> but the queen, and the queen came to Stockport, where I grew up. She came to Stockport, and she was coming down from Hazel Grove, down the main A6, and I happened to be standing outside the town hall. It was the place, and I'm quite tall, so I could see. And the queen and the, the motorbike guys came, and then the police, and then another car. And then the car with the flag on with no number plate. The queen comes down. Wow, the queen's there. And then they're driving past, and, they're, and suddenly they stopped. They stopped. And I thought, wow. And, and, and the queen's car's right there. Wow. And then the queen got out. And the queen got out. And I'm thinking, blinking heck. And there's like a couple of big heavy dudes near her and all that stuff. But she got, and I thought, oh, maybe there's something at the town hall. Maybe she's going to lay a wreath at the town hall steps or something, because I was right in the town. And she starts coming towards the town hall, towards me. And I'm like, wow. And then suddenly the queen takes a step forward and she looks straight at me. Oh, she looks straight at me. And I'm like, wow. And then she suddenly says, Peter. I'm like, whoa. Are you doing all right, Peter? How's your family? Whoa. I saw studies going, whoa. Now, where did I lose you? Because <laughs> the queen did come to Snotport, but the car never stopped. <laughs> Thank you. No, it's sadder than that. <laughs> but you know what? 
Imagine if it had. Imagine if it had. The Queen of Great Britain gets out of the car, comes up to me. How are you doing, Pete? Come for a hug. Whoa, the Queen. Listen. The King of Kings, the Creator of the universe, the Lord of heaven and earth, has got out of the car, walked up to you, put his arms around you, and said, Come here, give us a hug. That's what King Jesus has done, the Lord of all. Be secure in his love. He loves you because you're you. And sometimes we doubt that. That's what Christmas is all about. When he drove down from heaven, got out of the car and says, come here and have a hug. That's Christmas. We have a personal God. And one final little thing is, do you notice, but in verse 2, it's to God. It addresses God as you. It says, hear my cry for mercy as I call to you for help. It's to God. Verse 6 and 7 is about God. He has heard my cry. It's not saying you have heard my cry. He's heard my cry. He's my strength. I trust in him. In other words, it's gone from second person to God to third person about God. Not only is the psalmist confident God has heard him, he's also proud that God has done so and wants to declare that fact to others. We have a personal faith, but it's not private. Please, I want to encourage you, if you're a follower of Jesus, over this Christmas time, be ready to to let people know your confidence in your God. Be ready to witness to who he is. Remind people of the reality of what Christmas is supposed to all be about. We have a personal God who came into geography in Bethlehem, came into history 2,000 years ago, came fully to express the human condition and immersed himself into being a human just like you and me and redeemed us so that we could have a personal relationship with him he loves you he got out of the car walked to you give us a hug because he's the lord of lords and he loves you so much so i want to put this together i've hit the timer that's helpful that needs time to stand still when you do that. that's quite good i just want us to be able to respond to this and um there's a couple of things i need to say and um, this the gentleman over here who's looking at something. That gentleman there with the glasses on, the red shirt. Is that okay? I just need to say something to you. And please, I just feel like God's given me something to say. Um, but it's up to you to weigh up and whatever. But I felt just during the worship, I just say to you that God is in charge of your destiny. God is in charge of your destiny. And I felt like God was saying to encourage you not to be scared of um, sudden changes. That that God can work with sudden changes. Sometimes we can be slightly nervous of sudden changes of direction. And if you go on a journey, sometimes you're going straight, straight, straight. But, but sometimes the journey involves a change of direction, but it's actually still part of the right journey. So I just thought I want to encourage you that uh, your life is very safe in God's hands. And, um, and he's, your, your destiny is secure in him. You have no reason whatsoever to doubt that. But, but you don't need to be nervous of any changes of direction or anything that comes or anything like that because you're absolutely secure with him. just felt I should say that. Um, maybe chat afterwards if you like. Um, but there's, there's also a lady here. And during the worship I was saying, which lady, Lord? And he didn't tell me. So it's up to you to decide. <laughs> maybe there's more than one. Um, you feel like you're in a... 
you feel like you're in a little tiny fragile boat. Some of the circumstances of your life, you're in a little fragile boat and the boat's leaking and it's in a huge storm and it's getting tossed back and forth and you just feel like you're in absolute, the storm we started off with and there's something in you and you're saying, Jesus, don't you care? I'm here to tell you that Jesus is not just reaching down from heaven to lift you out of the boat. No, no. He's not just lifting the boat out of the water. He's cupping the ocean in his hand. He's taking the whole ocean and he's saying, I've got it. He's not just got you. He's got the boat you're in. He's got the ocean you're in. Jesus has got it. And there's a lady here, you need to know that. There's something, it might be a career thing, it might be a personal family